Welcome back to another week in the world of Sasta with me, Harry Stebbings, at hstebbings1996 with two Bs on Instagram, and I would love to see you there. But to the show today, and a second timer on the show, and a guest that I just always love my discussions with, and so I'm so thrilled to welcome back Chris Subramanian, founder and CEO at Chargebee, the startup that lets you go beyond payment, billing, and recurring invoices, to delivering subscription experiences that wow. And what they're doing now in the world of RevOps, trust me, it's pretty mind-blowing. To date, Chargebee wowed some of the world's leading VC to the tune of $38 million, including the likes of Insight Venture Partners, Tiger Global, Steadview, and Excel Partners. As for Krish, under Krish's leadership, the team have grown to over 300 people and over 5,000 clients, making it one of the next gen of truly global SaaS businesses started in India. All thanks to Lee Fixel for making the intro a long time ago now. It would not have happened without that, and I so appreciate that, Lee. But before we move into the show today, if there's one thing I honestly truly suck at, it's organization around one particular thing. Expenses. Keeping receipts. I lose them. Taking photos months later. Oh, it's a nightmare. And then we started using Clio, and it enables employees to buy what they need for work with no fuss and no more out-of-pocket purchases. Plus, you take the photo of the receipt in real time, so you don't need to go back to it months later and have it crumpled up and ripped, which is always the nightmare that I suffer. Also, the design of the app is just beautiful, genuinely. It makes it quite fun to log receipts. I probably need to get out more hearing myself say that. But don't take my word for it. Take the word of 5,000 European companies that use Plio, from Viner Media to Voy and Byron, and check this out. For Sasta listeners only, Plio are saying, hey, go on your next business lunch paid for by Plio by giving you £50 or euros on the Plio card to trial. Genuinely, I absolutely love the product, and you can check it out at plio.io forward slash Sasta. And you know what is worse than scrumpled receipts? Misreported metrics. Everyone in your go-to-market org is punching above their weight, yet no needle of any sort is moving nearly as fast as it ought to. Each morning you wake up to the three big, increasingly hard to answer revenue questions. How do we sustain the revenue we're bringing in? How do we identify more avenues to grow revenue? And how can we get real-time visibility into the nooks and crannies of the revenue engine? If that's you, it's exceedingly likely that your revenue infrastructure and processes are headed towards a dreaded natural conclusion, or rather a tangle, a huge bowl of SaaS spaghetti. That diagnosis reveals a huge revenue operations problem. Head on to www.chargebee.com forward slash RevOps and enter the promo code HARRY25 for 25% off your plan for the first six months. That is HARRY25. And finally, every week we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success. And currently we're talking to Tyler Amy, co-founder and CEO of Fusebill. Fusebill is the leading recurring billing, payments, and subscription management platform. Fusebill ignites growth in businesses worldwide with a flexible subscription commerce engine. Hi, Harry. The tip for this week is to assign everyone in your company with a quarterly number. This ensures that everyone from the top down is rowing in the same direction. Report on the progress of these numbers in your one-on-ones and management meetings, then reset every quarter. You will be amazed at how powerful your team can be if everyone is focused on a quantifiable goal every quarter. Heck, add a monetary incentive to it and see records get broken. Thank you, Tyler. And measurable objectives with incentives are a great way to drive growth. And you can also find growth with the combination of WePay and Chase, which means payments you can bank on. To find out how you can add payments like Chase Pay and more to your payment solution, visit wepay.com forward slash Harry. That's wepay.com forward slash Harry. However, I'm now very excited to welcome back to the show a dear friend, Chris Subramanian, founder and CEO at Charge B. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. Chris, it is absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today for a very special round two. So thank you so much for joining me once again today, Chris. 
Thank you so much for having me, Harry. Very exciting. Well, the pleasure is all mine, but I do want to start, Stan. For those that maybe missed our first episode, how did you make your way, Krish, into what I always call the wonderful world of SaaS and really come to found Chargebee today? We are software engineers by training. Uh, when I say we, it's me and my four co-founders. My co-founders cut their teeth at Zoho for over 10 years building product and for over six years inside Zoho building software products, SaaS products. And then we decided to start a company. We decided to bootstrap, but later on, we raised capital. But stumbling into SaaS, I think it's a default way that we have grown, which is we love solving problems through software. I really don't know anything, <laughs> honestly. And when we decided to start a company, we saw this as an emerging problem area. That is how we stumbled upon SaaS. But Krish, I do want to start on kind of the two different company profiles in SaaS, because selling to SaaS and then also selling SaaS to other SaaS companies, you see a huge variety of different SaaS businesses. And I want to touch on the different profiles how they acquire and retain customers and more. So if we start on the first type of SaaS businesses that sell to SMBs and often one to five person teams, and they likely will always alter those types of teams. I was chatting to a VC the other day who went, ugh, this business, no scalability of ACVs, not good. How do you think about this type of business and how would you respond to that VC? Most businesses, when we look at a, a type one business like this, where uh, we are selling to SMBs, there is typically a very large market that you can grow into. A classic example is Squarespace or Shopify. And the simplicity of that business is that you acquire one type of customer and your product does not become complex as you acquire more and more customers. Instead, you are able to deliver so much polish and build the best in class product in that particular category and just focus on retention and acquiring more customers. That's the beauty of that business, even though the ACV does not rapidly expand with business, right? A classic example is a Shopify selling to, let's say, contract, small e-commerce business or a Squarespace delivering beautiful websites to contractors, freelancers, and small businesses. Yes, it does not scale, but the beauty is the product remains so simple that you get so much time and mindshare to polish the product to build a best-in-class, which compensates for a lot of complexity that you don't inherit with a business that grows with the customer. Can I ask, in terms of the product simplicity, because of the product simplicity, if there is exceptional companies, brands with Within that kind of batch of customer base, is there ever a concern though that they'll scale out of it and due to the simplicity, the product won't have the depth for a scaling brand that now no longer is five people, but it's actually a hundred people. How do you think about customers scaling out of that bracket and churn as a result? It's a fantastic question. The assumption we are making here is that uh, this is a classic case of, uh, again, the, the Squarespace competing with the WordPress versus our evolution when it comes to the category. Does Squarespace have to compete with the evolution for them to scale the business? My take is that they don't have to. There is always an underserved segment of market that is very large. And if you are able to see the trend that pretty much every small business, which is a mom and pop brick and mortar store, wants presence digitally, that is your opportunity on which Squarespace are a big prospect. There is an underserved segment that a volution or a WordPress cannot come down to because they try to cater to a segment of customers which are always growing. Their product has become complex and that requires developer help and all of that. And suddenly, you are able to identify an underserved segment in every category. My take is that in every category that you think of, there is always an underserved segment that we can serve profitably and there is a larger market if we go deep. The segmentation could be global, where you see Latin America as an opportunity or Africa as your next opportunity, or it could be the segment in terms of peers of, am I selling through resellers or am I selling directly to the customers? Right? You could solve it in any number of ways. Totally, you could. I, I guess my question to you then, and I'm sorry for going off schedule so quickly, but my question is, we see everyone trying to go up market. Everyone is doing an enterprise version of the simple product. Not are they wrong, but do you think then that actually they don't need to and that actually this necessity to have enterprise to scale is actually wrong? 
I wouldn't say there is nothing wrong about building value through business, but at the same time, I think it is a question of what you commit to. Right? If you raise a lot of capital with the commitment that I will deliver this value, then it sets you on a path where you have to deliver. Right, and the pressure of actually trying to achieve it, you are trying to get to that. Right. For example, the scaling through SMB business is a long, hard path to scaling a business. Right, uh, which is you are trying to acquire companies more and more at the top, which requires a lot of dollars to grow your business. But at the same time, you take the path. Let's say you take a look at Zoho. There is a very different way of scaling very slowly, carefully, for a very, very long time, serving the same segment. till you build it and then you get the opportunity to increase your wallet share shopify again has done that from 2004 to 2010 before they started scaling a lot of things i think it requires a lot more thoughtful thoughtful construction of the business to scale with only with smb and a certain category certain segment of business whereas if you are trying to rapidly grow the business in terms of acv dollars or trying to build a 100 million dollar business within an artificially imposed uh, constraint of let's say 7 years 8 years then the, your solution could be okay let me move up market because there are more dollars then you start following the dollars totally get you in terms of start following the dollars can i ask in terms of following the dollars you know you mentioned earlier your bootstrapping in the early days and then obviously raising money from the likes of excel the likes of tiger now steadview some incredible names there did you see your mindset change as a founder when moving from bootstrap to vc funded business <laughs> this is a fantastic question in the sense that i was the one who was while i actually answered the question for the previous one saying carefully constructed very differently staying in the same segment right we have taken the alternate path and my reason is that as a product category that we took we are selling not just for the customers needs today but also for their ambition of wanting to grow meaning this is a type to classic type to business where uh, we sell to every idea stage founder who wants to build a multi million dollar business right not this customer does not want to stay as a, a sub million dollar business forever and this mindset shift had to happen to us the deeper we understood our customers so to to go back to your question has the mindset changed from a bootstrap company to a funded company to a large extent the understanding of the market has changed for us and we are aware of the commitment to the the path that we are taking but at the same time once you are bootstrap entrepreneur then always a bootstrap entrepreneur with respect to how you think about using dollars to build your business i think that is like a switch that goes on and stays for us stays on for us Listen, it's a big switch to endure and uh, one that you've done incredibly well. I do want to talk about, as you said, though, the type two business where we are scaling into enterprise in certain cases and scaling with our customers. When we spoke before about it, you said continuous customer development becomes so crucial. So before we dive into the process itself, again, you, we chatted before, and you said you're paranoid about staying up to date with your customer. In terms of the paranoia, Krish, why is this so important to have the paranoia? so just for context right what we provide is subscription management billing for our customers uh, for saas and saas like businesses and i think when we think that we have a product market fit in one segment and then we continue to sell that we assume that we have product market fit but very quickly when the customer is growing to the next stage the key for this type 2 business which is scaling with your customers is that is retention and that retention requires you to continuously evolve your product to the customers needs not today but for the future which means that you're always try to be ready for the next one year or two years because we are almost an uh, infrastructure in their tech stack and this paranoia is extremely important from a product evolution standpoint is my take because every stage your product market fit almost feels like it's falling apart 
I love that in terms of the product market fit falling apart. Can I ask, in terms of like building out those secondary products with your scaling customers, is there ever a concern that with the scaling product range that you have, you'll lose the initial customer base, which are remaining small and maybe taking a longer time to grow because of product complexity, because of less focus on the original product and the original mission? How do you think about maintaining the core base while also expanding with the fast-growing customer base? I think uh, a lot of us fall into the trap of trying to think that the only way to keep the customer is to introduce multiple products, which I don't think is any longer the case because we buy best of suite and not necessarily best of breed. And when you think about it, what I mean by that is when your customer problem is continuously evolving and they need more and more, it is important to think solutions first and be able to partner with uh, others and offer the solution to the customer, which automatically drives attention for your product rather than trying to think about expansion. The reason I suggest this as an approach is that when you get your pricing right as a partner uh, to grow with your customer, when the customer grows, you grow anyways because they are consuming more of your product, they get more value, you get benefited through your, you capture the value through your pricing. Right? When that is there, there is no need to try and think that I have to build every one of those, at least in the early stage. And it is important to think solutions first. But I do have a take that you always watch out for adjacencies where the problems are becoming more relevant to your customers, where you are solving a particular problem, let's say invoices, and then taxes is a problem for the customer. You have to think, how is the customer going to manage taxes globally? And what am I going to do? Either then your path could be, do I build it myself or do I partner with somebody and take care of tax filing for the customer? And I think those emerging opportunities living in the customer world I think is the, the way to think about introducing second product. And of course, you want a large enough customer base to which you are able to introduce this product. Otherwise, all the effort that you put in, you don't want to be building another GTM entry point to start selling another product, right? It should be an opportunity to cross-sell rather than trying to sell one more product and build one more marketing I do totally get you. I guess my question there is, you mentioned that in terms of value extraction with the usage increasing from the customer. That's in a case when pricing is successful. Have there been some lessons for you on the right way to think about and approach pricing in terms of, we're often told about pricing simplicity, but then also it may not align with optimal value extraction. How do you think about the right way to price a product as you move into enterprise? I think as any company that is evolving, that is, when we think about our customers, many of them start as scale-up businesses and they enter into the growth segment and then enterprises. And at every stage, the customer is buying based on what they understand about their future, but not necessarily thinking through everything about their business, right? And every business that grows evolves in people, process, and technology. There is an upgrade happens in all three at every stage of growth. And when we think about pricing, are we optimally priced to continue to support the customer as a partner is something very important because when we think about simplicity, you don't want to present an invoice every time they want additional help. Let's say the customer is going to the next stage and they want additional help, let's say in compliance or security, right? We don't want to be presenting an invoice to the customer saying, oh, so we're going to charge you X number of dollars to help you with PCA pump. And that means that how do you operate as a partner where you feel that you're sufficiently invested in helping them through everything and the customer is also paying that value. So you bake that into pricing model. In our case, it could be volume of invoices, it could be a percentage of the revenue, one of those parameters that grows with the customer's business. And then you are invested in everything else that they want. Is how I like to think about it. So don't think about pricing for what it is today, but try to think of how the pricing will grow with the customer when they consume more and more in terms of their growing needs in all three parameters, people, process, technology. 
I love the element of aligning pricing to the success of your customer. I do want to ask you, because we kind of jumped a stage there almost, in terms of pre-pricing itself, in terms of customer acquisition, how have you found that customer acquisition changes when scaling into the enterprise? Have there been some big challenges for you? Absolutely right. Uh, because it is almost your GTM, the, the go-to-market process, as we move up market, continuously has to evolve in terms of the marketing and sales process and messaging and everything. Because uh, how we sell to early stage when we started with the product is no longer the case when we are now selling to larger businesses. And I think it's a constant uh, challenge that every business that moves up market deals with. And uh, that requires just thoughtful orchestration across all three areas. It is not just, for example, we never had a, a separate pre-sales solution consulting team within Charge B when we were onboarding customers because it was intuitive and founders were exploring the product, founder CTS, and they would just buy. And today we sell to larger customers, uh, primarily CFOs or a CRO army, and that requires us to actually do the solutioning part. So which means that as part of the GTM process, suddenly you are rebuilding the entire engine with respect to how you go to market with the customer, right? You want to invest in pre-sales and then present them with those options and before you are able to take it to the next level. So my take is that whatever has worked in GTM process when we sell to a, an early stage segment, that ha- goes through continuous process of change and it is almost like you are reinventing the, the GTM process for the next stage of the company and uh, it has to be dealt with it. The people may not necessarily, all the salespeople who are extremely successful in SMB sales may not be successful in your mid-market or enterprise selling, right? And those people will need, that team may need an upgrade, your tools and infrastructure, process, everything needs. I think uh, just that we were just talking about our customers go through it. I see the same happening to our own journey whenever we are uh, moving on. No, I love that in terms of seeing it and aligning it to your own journey. I do have to ask it. In terms of the enterprise customers that you do acquire, a lot of them require, in some cases, services and consultancy in terms of integration and onboarding. How do you think about that? Because that's one often talked about in the VC community with a lot of, not disgust, but concern in terms of having too heavier services and consulting revenue stream. How do you think about services revenue streams today in SaaS, especially when scaling into enterprise? I think the, the pitfall we have to, the, the concern is valid, which is we don't want services revenue to become the crutch on which we build a business, right? If we rely on that too much, where we start thinking, oh, my cash flow is healthy because I'm able to charge more for services of large customers, that might actually become the crutch and we may lose focus on the, the core value, uh, core offering, which is continuously, why do, why do we have services in the first place? Uh, I, the analogy for me is uh, what my co-founder talked about, customer support. When with the reason why customer support team gets heavily involved is to solve for the lack of the deficiency. That this is the fastest path to solving for the deficiency in your product is what customer support does most of the time, right? And then eventually you definitely want your product to be solution to be self-evident in your product that it solves. Similarly, services is the best way where you are complementing the internal customer's team's focus to say you can stay focused on your customers and your core product. Let me help you do it. Is how we think about services. And you don't want this to be a continuous thing that we have to do for the customer simply because there is money. And the way to think about it is what is the fastest path in which I'm able to deliver value and get out of that engagement so I'm not relying on that is how we should think about it. And we try to do it through a network of partners who implement for our customers uh, deliberately as a forcing constraint so we don't rely on that revenue in the short term. Later on, maybe we can continue to add some level of uh, project management capability and other oversight to give assurance to customers that let me take care of this implementation part or this integration. And most of the time, one common problem that all the SaaS companies, uh, we all deal with is our product might scale, but the implementation that was done, let's say three years or five years back, may not necessarily scale with the customer. 
which means that we have to revisit the implementation all over again to upgrade the new features that we have built over the last two years to help the customer. In those areas, I think services is extremely important. It's an interesting one in terms of the customer support that you mentioned there, because I had someone on the show the other day and they said, you don't actually want your customer support to be amazing, because if they're so amazing, they'll actually cover up for deficiencies within the product. Do you think that's fair? And how do you think about almost customer support acting as a bandage for product deficiencies? I think it's only natural that this happens, meaning you think about building the product for a particular persona of a user, the buyer or the power user, and then you do that. Many a times we all realize that when your customer evolves, the primary user changes. For example, a quasi-developer like an operations person may be the one who implements it. So they can put all the Lego blocks of your product together in their head and then they can make sense of it, they may have implemented it. And then sometimes it gets handed over to a user who is not necessarily with the same mindset, which means that certain things that you assumed were obvious to your power user is no longer the case. And it takes time, a long time for product to actually grapple with that problem and evolve with the customer to solve for it. And the fastest path to the solution is most of the time through customer support. So I 100% agree that you don't want to rely on customer support as the only way for customers to find the solution. But the most responsive customer support, it's like just turning around to your expert in your own team, right? turning around your chair and then being able to ask someone, do you have a responsive customer support that you're able to rely on for a service that you use is how I like to think about it. And the more and more it becomes obvious inside the product, the better it is. I'm totally with you there in terms of the more it becoming obvious. I do have to ask you, because when we spoke earlier about retention, you said to me, the continuous conversations with your customers is key. I, I guess, tell me, the subsequent question after that is, is this the role of customer success teams or is this the role of actually the team more broadly? Definitely customer success, but I would also strongly emphasize this role is important for product. The reason is many a time, but today for, for us personally, our 60% of the roadmap is uh, driven by existing customers. And we think it's extremely important because we might come in the way of their business growth if we don't build out the things that they need. Right? And it is important for customer success to conduct uh, regular quarterly business reviews to gather inputs and ask them what are your plans for the next uh, six months and 12 months. Similarly, I think uh, it's extremely important for product to stay very tuned to the the growing customers uh, to pay attention to what is it that they should be anticipating instead of actually hearing what they want today. In in that context, I think uh, both the teams have a crucial role. Okay, let's get more granular then, Krish. How often should they check in with your customer base? What does that timeline look like? Uh, regular check-ins monthly from customer success perspective, quarterly QBRs, quarterly business reviews with the customers. And from a product perspective, I would say the product managers should always be talking right on a regular basis, on a regular cadence. So the way we think about uh, product team is uh, they are continuously paying close attention to uh, the pre-sales conversation, which is a solution conversation at the time of onboarding a customer and to the, the customer success conversation. So that is a continuous process from a product perspective. Digging into the conversations they do actually have, can I ask, are there questions that you find drive to really conclusive answers on potential product development strategies that you could implement and that you suggest and like the team to really be driving to on calls? Whenever we engage with customer, asking them questions related to how their day looks like, right, and where our product actually fits within the workflows generally reveals a little bit more than trying to understand how they use our product. A case in point is when we ask about charge B and then let's say feedback on invoicing or taxes, it's not sufficient to stop there, right? It's important to understand what happens to the life cycle of that particular workflow beyond what we do, right? Till the life cycle of that one particular invoice gets sent to the customer, then what happens, right? Which other system does it go to? Who takes responsibility for that particular workflow 
after it gets generated in the system, right? So you think in terms of people involved, the tools that they use. So the questions, the moment you actually think in terms of workflow and lifecycle of whatever document or artifact that you are creating to your product and try to map it out, generally it reveals a lot more. And, and many a times we find that a very fast-growing customer of ours could be saying, yeah, we do it in QuickBooks, right? All of this goes into QuickBooks, then we reconcile. And then you probe a little bit more to understand, okay, so how is the experience with QuickBooks, right? Not just Charge B, you start asking that. And then you realize that, no, 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 we are actually hitting $20, $25 million in the bulk, and we are thinking about migrating out of QuickBooks and thinking about NetSuite, Intact, right? And that is what we are thinking. You suddenly realize that, oh, so there is actually a change that is coming in, right? In the, in the time horizon, the next six months, right? And then you start understanding that and they are going to need a lot more help in retraining themselves for a new product that they are going to introduce into that, right? And it's always painful. The change management is always is painful. So the leading questions to understand change management and workflows are the best ways to understand a customer's world journey that they are on. Kyle, should these conversations and should these discussions, this kind of insight into the customer workflow, should that be done in person? No, I think our behavior, especially with the, the buying behavior and the customer behavior, has significantly changed in the last five years is my take. Actually, we, we love Zoom calls and, and remote conversations because more, they are more efficient. And it really does not feel like it, it's normal. Right. Even with our colleagues, we do this all the time. I think it does not have to be because the moment you actually start putting a constraint that I want to do it in uh, in person, it drives up the cost of serving the customer. Right, and you may do it infrequent. So it is important to think about all the when we, when you think about the method of actually doing it, it is important to think in terms of cost structure as well because it will eventually drive the behavior and the type of people that you recruit. Right, we recruit millennials who are very comfortable doing many of these driving these conversations very closely with the customers, and there is a reason for that. So my take is. It does not have to be. It's always amazing to meet customers in person. But what we try to do is we group them around the conference and then we go meet them. But on a regular cadence, I prefer remote meetings. Listen, I'm totally with you. And uh, listen, I think we've built a firm friendship over Zoom largely. And so uh, I, I love Zoom too. So uh, what can we say on that one? I do want to finish though, Christian. You know the drill here. It's my favorite, I, I have to admit. The 60 seconds faster. So I say a short statement. You hit me with your immediate thoughts. Are you ready? Yes, sir. So what have been some big learnings from working with the legendary Lee Fixel? Trust a team and get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great one. Tell me, how do you know when's the right time to introduce a new product? When the adjacent problems become more visible for your customers, it's time to think about the solution first. Then you may, when it becomes more visible to a lot of your customers, that may be the best time to think about your next product. How has having kids changed the way you operate and think about building a business today? Uh, be present. Just forget about what uh, whatever bad happens. Immediately forget it and stay focused on the present. Tell me, final one. What do you know now, Chris, that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your time with Chargebee? As a first-time founder, I wish I had known that our customers are buying for the problem that they understand as it stands today. But there is an underlying need of they are thinking about the future, but not really knowing what it is. The extent to which we have to educate them about their future needs and still sell something simple today was something I wish I had known a lot more earlier. That realization has been through a continuous customer conversation. Chris, as you know, I always love our conversations. There are always so many questions that are completely off schedule. So I'm so sorry for that, but I've so enjoyed having you on. So thank you so much for joining me again today. Uh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. 
As I said at the beginning, I just always love my chats with Krish, and I could not be more excited for Chargebee with their movement into the world of RevOps. And if you'd like to see more from Krish and Chargebee, you can find him on Twitter at CBKrish. Likewise, it'd be great to welcome you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. I always love to see you there. But before we leave you today, if there's one thing I honestly, truly suck at, it's organization around one particular thing. Expenses. Keeping receipts. I lose them. Taking photos months later. Oh, it's a nightmare. And then we started using Plio, and it enables employees to buy what they need for work with no fuss and no more out-of-pocket purchases. Plus, you take the photo of the receipt in real time, so you don't need to go back to it months later and have it crumpled up and ripped, which is always the nightmare that I suffer. Also, the design of the app is just beautiful, genuinely. It makes it quite fun to log receipts. I probably need to get out more hearing myself say that, but don't take my word for it. Take the word of 5,000 European companies that use Plio from Viner Media to Voy and Byron and check this out. For Sasta listeners only, Plio are saying, hey, go on your next business lunch paid for by Plio by giving you £50 or euros on the Plio card to trial. Genuinely, I absolutely love the product and you can check it out at plio.io forward slash Sasta. And you know what is worse than scrumpled receipts? Misreported metrics. Everyone in your go-to-market org is punching above their weight, yet no needle of any sort is moving nearly as fast as it ought to. Each morning, you wake up to the three big, increasingly hard-to-answer revenue questions. How do we sustain the revenue we're bringing in? How do we identify more avenues to grow revenue? And how can we get real-time visibility into the nooks and crannies of the revenue engine? If that's you, it's exceedingly likely that your revenue infrastructure and processes are headed towards a dreaded natural conclusion, or rather a tangle, a huge bowl of SaaS spaghetti. That diagnosis reveals a huge revenue operations problem. Head on to www.chargebee.com forward slash revops and enter the promo code Harry25 for 25% off your plan for the first six months. That is Harry25. And finally, every week we talk briefly to a WePay partner in a mini-series to get their best advice on achieving success. And currently we're talking to Tyler Amy, co-founder and CEO of Fusebill. Fusebill is the leading recurring billing, payments, and subscription management platform. Fusebill ignites growth in businesses worldwide with a flexible subscription commerce engine. Hi, Harry. The tip for this week is to assign everyone in your company with a quarterly number. This ensures that everyone from the top down is rowing in the same direction. Report on the progress of these numbers in your one-on-ones and management meetings, then reset every quarter. You will be amazed at how powerful your team can be if everyone is focused on a quantifiable goal every quarter. Heck, add a monetary incentive to it and see records get broken. Thank you, Tyler. And measurable objectives with incentives are a great way to drive growth. And you can also find growth with the combination of WePay and Chase, which means payments you can bank on. To find out how you can add payments like Chase, Pay, and more to your payment solution, visit wepay.com forward slash Harry. That's wepay.com forward slash Harry. As always, I cannot thank you enough for your support and I can't wait to bring you another fantastic episode next week.